Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host, Melissa Collings, after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener, the go-to app for writers of all kinds, used every day by best-selling novelists, screenwriters, nonfiction writers, and more. Think of Scrivener as the Swiss Army knife of writing apps. You can use just the parts you need, like the distraction-free writing view, or you can break out all the tools to plan, organize, research, and create your work. When you're done, you can easily export to multiple document, manuscript, and ebook formats. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. You can learn more at their website, literatureandlatte.com, or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today's story is Safety, written by John Mahoney and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Safety by John Mahoney Brianna Edwards staggered into the putrid, graffitied subway car, one hand reflexively cradling her belly while the other fumbled for the closest pole. She snared it, studying herself, head swiveling. Who'd bumped her? Several commuters angled themselves to pass her, but the only eyes that met hers belonged to her reflection in the train's window. Just another black girl knocked up by her baby daddy. That's all these people saw acting like they didn't see, scuttling into every available seat. She sighed, leaning against the pole as the train lurched into motion, hefting the grocery bag closer to her leg in case someone thought to rob her. A year living in New York taught her that people who'd found a spot on the subway didn't move unless they were getting off, or up to no good. This made the man rising from his seat noteworthy. Her heart went from zero to sixty, but not like with Jared. Something wasn't right about this guy. He was tall, maybe six foot two, the only fool on the train without a winter coat. His dark suit screamed GQ, while his dirty blonde hair and clean-shaven chin defined ordinary. Her body tensed as he drew closer. She wanted to run, to flee like a squirrel in the headlights. But the press of people made it impossible, and where would she go? His hand gripped her upper arm, and she dropped the bag, her body stiffening. At the same instant, her baby kicked like never before, short-circuiting her scream for help. All she managed was a pained groan, her balance faltering. His grip tightened, and she realized that he was supporting her, beaming down a friendly smile that improved his youthful features. The baby thrashed inside her, trying to punt its way to freedom. Take my seat, the man offered, his voice deep, almost musical. His large eyes beamed sincerity, flickering between sky blue and silver as he measured her. I, my, Brianna stammered, pulling away. I'll get your stuff, the man promised, releasing her. 
She retreated, hands instinctively covering her abdomen, though some deep part of her, an awareness she'd never noticed, assured her there was no protection from this man. Not really. But the baby had stilled, and Mr. GQ was gathering her spilled poise pads, toilet paper, pregnancy-filled painkillers, and a trio of pumpkin pie pastries. Panting, she sat before someone else could, flinching when the man placed the reloaded bag on her lap. She tugged it close. Thank you, she forced herself to say. Interesting tattoo, he remarked. Involuntarily, Brianna glanced down. Inked on the back of her hand bracing the bag was an angel, pointing a cocked bow at the viewer, one fiery gold eye open, the other eye closed, taking aim. The wings were blood-stained, and a massive bulge protruded from the crotch of its toga. My dad's a pastor, she confessed. I was sixteen, and I knew it'd piss him. Brianna clamped her mouth shut. The man smiled. The eye's not right. Brianna wanted to ask, but the foot-long wood is? She lowered her gaze instead, wishing Jared didn't work nights. Fortunately, he took the hint, turning his head to stare through the reflections of the windows and into the darkness beyond. The only sounds were the trains rattling and the occasional cough or murmur from other passengers. The subway chugged to a halt, and Brianna gripped the bench's pole. You should stay on the train, the man told her abruptly. It's my stop, Brianna replied. Even if that hadn't been true, she wanted out. A grim frown clouded his face, but he extended his hand. No way he was touching her again. Brianna heaved herself up, scurrying out the doors before they'd finished sliding open. She hustled to the base of the grimy staircase that led to Ditmas Avenue and then glanced back at the train. The doors closed as the man stood where she'd left him, watching her. Creep, she murmured, turning to waddle up the stairs. With each step, the air grew colder, and her breath misted in the open air. Brooklyn never slept, particularly Flatbush, and she was far from the only pedestrian. Her apartment was just a block away, and she obeyed the sign at the corner which commanded, Walk! As Brianna rummaged her coat's pockets for her keys, an irresistible grip nearly crushed her arm, jerking her back onto the sidewalk, her back slamming against a signpost. The baby flailed inside her, and those stunning eyes locked upon her own. No, help! Her cry was silenced by his other hand clamping over her mouth. An enormous dark blur skidded past the corner of her eye, its gust blasting back her hair and pelting her legs with tiny kernels of gravel and broken glass. A horrendous crunch of metal pierced her panic. The pressure constricting her arm vanished, and she turned, dropping her bag, helpless to stop herself. A van had plowed into a parked Audi. Bystanders screamed, pulling out cell phones, and three men dashed to the van's door, prying it open. An unconscious driver was being hauled from the burning van. Smoke billowed upward. The air reeked of gasoline, charred steel, and rubber. Shards of glass lay scattered at Brianna's feet. Had she taken that step, her blood and bone would have been mixed with the glass. Strewn like chowder across the street, her unborn baby mulched. She collapsed to all fours and vomited, glad for once to be unnoticed. Blessedly purged, she tamed her breath, raising her head to search for her rescuer. 
Mr. GQ had vanished. Dazed, Brianna's head fell, and she stared at her tattoo, illuminated by the growing fire. Her angel was still aiming his bow, except both of his eyes were open, and they were no longer golden, but an impossible silver. Shaking, but not from the cold, Brianna began to laugh. You just listened to Safety by John Mahoney. Normally we have the author on the show at this point, but in today's circumstance we have a special situation, so I'm going to let Melissa tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, first let's let's talk a little bit about John Mahoney. He is a 32-year-old writer, and the circumstances for him not being here today is very interesting to W. He is currently incarcerated and has been in prison for the last 13 and a half years. We don't think it's necessary mm-hmm. to lay out the details or the reasons behind Mr. Mahoney's incarceration, though it is a matter of public record. And I think it's safe to say that he's comfortable discussing his current situation, even though I can imagine it's an extremely difficult topic to broach. Yeah, but I think sure. I think this is a good time to kind of back up because this is something we have never had before. You know, we've always had the author on the show. And it's been fascinating to learn more about them. And we're, we are going to get to learn about him as we go through. He's, he's had questions asked him, but in a very unusual way. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be really give the reader the, an insight about how Onyx chooses pieces uh, to, mm-hmm. to publish. So can you tell us a little bit about that, JW? Sure. Well, um, so we try to do our reviews blind, and we use the submittable... Uh, website or application, whatever you want to call it. And so all, this, all the reviews come in through Submittable. If you've been to our website, you know that. And in that process, we don't ask for any background information because we just want to read the story and make judgments based on that, right, Melissa? So that's kind of how right. we, we go through that process. And in this particular case, uh, it was submitted by his mother, which, of course, we wouldn't know. She put his name as the submitter. And then when we reached out to you know talk about potentially putting this show on in the magazine and on the podcast, that's when she revealed that um, you know his circumstance that he was in prison and um, she was submitting on his behalf, which kind of and Melissa knows this pretty well because it, I I wasn't really sure what to do. Right. right? I mean, we it was have, it we was something that brand new. Before. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a little <laughs> bit controversial. I mean. Well, yep. what do you do? I mean, do you, do you go ahead and publish? I mean, we, the story was picked based on the merit of the story, knowing right. nothing about the author, which is, like you said, how all the stories are, are chosen. The, the words on the page, nothing about the author. So you look up the author later, and you find out some interesting details. And so this, right. was, this was quite interesting to me. So, so yeah, I mean, ultimately, the decision was made that this piece would be published, which is what mm-hmm. you just heard. So his, his mother sent the piece in, and then mm-hmm. you want to talk about how we got these answers to some of the questions we were dying to know? You know, one thing that you may or may not know is that you don't get access to um, a lot of internet in prison. And so she acts as his go-between. And once we had a conversation about moving forward with it, we sent our questions to her which she then uh, relays to him. But we'll talk a little bit about his writing process later on. But that's kind of how we got the answers to these questions. And, I mean, we could potentially read them verbatim, but I think it's more interesting since he's not on the show to talk about the spirit of the answers 
and actually have a dialogue about it, which is what Melissa and I are doing right now. Yes. And I think his, his answers are pretty interesting. So I think it's going to be fun, even though he's not here. I think mm-hmm. we'll be able to kind of be his voice a little bit and also insert our own impressions. Sure, um, sure. So talking about his mother, and that ties into really who his first reader is. The first reader mm-hmm. for him is his mother. And I love how how they do this. So you, you touched on this, that he uses pencil and paper. You know, we're mm-hmm. so used to a lot of writers strictly computer you know you are Mm -hmm. writing on the computer your manuscript you edit it he is not he is writing with pencil and paper right then he gives that to his mother his mother types that up sends it back to him for edit and then he makes his edits and she does the final process and then sends sends that out and he says and one of in his answers you know i couldn't do any of this without her so she is a big a proponent of his writing and I think that's right. really interesting that she's got to be proud because she's in this process and she's kind of letting his voice come through um too and everything I that agree. she's doing it's that's uplifting approach to um the situation that he's in so it's good yeah well the next question was that we sent him was sort of you know if we if he was on the show we'd be asking what's the inspiration behind the story how do you come up with the idea and is there any meaning in it that he'd like to share and Melissa do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah I think a big thing um, when you think about what goes on in, in prison, you know, you have a lot of um, outreach. And so John became a Christian in jail, and that is a big deal to him. So the inspiration behind the story, he likes using biblical themes, and he feels like those biblical themes are a stimulation for the imagination. Mm-hmm. And this particular piece is kind of highlighting the idea of a guardian angel. Mm-hmm. And I think, and he talks about this, that this is a lesson kind of in the frailty of life and how quickly the choices we make can shatter shatter those lives. Mm-hmm. And he relates it back to his own life in a way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the whole um, religious aspect of his, his experience. I'm not sure. He doesn't go into the details of where he was and his his spiritual life before that, but it mm-hmm. definitely has become something that's important to him now. Mm-hmm. And you see that filtered through his writing. Right. Well, the way I interpreted this answer is that he was wishing that he had an actual guardian angel, like in safety, who prevented him from taking the action that he did. And so yes. this was kind of an outlet for him to write this story, to, you know, have that situation occur, but have someone be saved. And I thought one of the interesting things in his answer was that, you know, he thinks very deeply on, you know, why that didn't happen for him. And, uh, you know, that's a really spiritual kind of life-changing question. Definitely. Definitely. You know, and Brianna in safety, you know, ignored those warnings and she walked into danger. And he feels like, I think it, it shows that she kind of learned the lesson that there was divine intervention. Mm-hmm. And, and that is in, in that guardian angel. Right, right. You know what I think is interesting about this story is that he builds on... A situation that we might all find ourselves in. You know, this is an everyday situation, an everyday occasion that a lot of people go through on a day-to-day basis, riding the subway. And then he adds in mm-hmm. a common fear, especially, you know, of a woman being alone. So you're mm-hmm. kind of preying on that. Pregnant woman too. Yeah, pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. So she's vulnerable in, in a multiple ways. You know, it's at night, it's on the subway. But that's something that we all can relate to. You know, we've all been in a situation where you're uncomfortable or you're in you feel vulnerable, um, mm-hmm. whether it's a truly in a vulnerable situation like that, or you just feel that way because of emotional things. Right. 
And so I don't know what you got from it. We could talk about that, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what I kind of got from this story. Hmm. I think it highlights people's perception. If you look mm-hmm. at how this woman is viewed, she doesn't have any idea what the people around her are thinking, mm-hmm. but she produ- projects the ideas onto the people around her based on her worldview. And that's likely shaped by our culture. And it's also something that's been very prominent in, in our culture in mm-hmm. the past year or so, but she calls herself just another black girl. Mm-hmm. And so that's what she's, she's seeing everybody look at her as just another black girl. And then she starts putting GQ, which is our guardian angel in the story, mm-hmm. in a box. You know, she's making him out to be a particular type of person. So I think John builds up a little bit of a suspense and the creep factor. He even uses the word creep in here. Mm-hmm. So that's in our minds. But you can take these ordinary circumstances that we can relate to, and then you see him building this, this level of suspense. You know, you wonder, well, what's going to happen to her? What are the motives of this guy? And we later find out that Brianna's guardian angel, that that's who he is and that he has saved her life. Mm-hmm. I, I think a secondary theme is, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. So that it kind of goes along with highlighting people's perception. But sure. we live in a society where we want to put people in a box. You know, we want them to fit a certain mold or a preconceived notion. But in reality, we're living or we're all living our own story. And it might be similar to somebody else's. It might even resemble somebody else's. But we're not the same. We're individuals. And so Brianna was not just another black girl, you know. She had this this life um, with her husband and have about to have this baby. She had her fears and all of that. She was very complex. And then you have the guardian angel who looked like he was going to be something, but he ended up being something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. What did you like about the story? What did you get from it? Am I reading too much into it or am I like right on target? as always you're right on target oh i knew you were gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) i agree with you in terms of um what you took away from it you know it's interesting i didn't necessarily dive that deep into the meaning and um i'm glad you did because i agree with you like i said a minute ago but um i just enjoyed kind of the tension that was building throughout i mean he starts off um, and you already are feeling for this woman uh, a yeah. little bit tense. She's, uh, she's feeling vulnerable, like you said. And then there's this guy that's acting strangely, and you wonder what's going to happen. And that pretty much just pulled me through. So for me, yeah. that momentum is, is why I like the story. And then at the end, with the little twist with the tattoo is cute. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that is my favorite part. Not, not the particular anatomy of the tattoo. Um, <laughs> yes, gonna, right. I'm going to say that wasn't my favorite part, so don't misinterpret. <laughs> but right. um, how had the, the, the tattoo's eyes changed? That kind of brought it back to the beginning, and I think that's a good technique. You know, you're, you're weaving this silver wire, these silver uh-huh. eyes, through it. Yeah. And I liked that because it really, you know... We, we knew right then she knew, you know, this is a supernatural thing that happened. This is not just an everyday guy. This is the guardian angel. And I think John, he mentions later, I think he wants us to take away from this work, be open to listening to that inner voice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's subjective for different people. For him, he feels like this is a guardian angel right. um, that, that people have. For other people, it may be something else. Um mm-hmm that sixth sense you know we don't really know what that is and i think it's an interesting concept it's this piece 
brings about conversation. You know, it stimulates you to be thinking about all these other things. Stereotypes, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good point. So the next question, one of the next questions we asked was about, and this is something we usually ask on the show. If you're a listener, you know that we ask it pretty regularly, which is, did you learn anything about yourself while writing this piece? And his answer in that was interesting in that it related to writing specifically. Yeah. This is his first attempt at, at writing flash fiction. Mm-hmm. Right. This was the first thing he did to really explore something flash. He'd previously done novellas. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a whole lot longer than something flash, which a flash is a thousand or less usually. Right. And he didn't think he could really write a sensible story in that amount of time. And his mother, again, kind of those amount of words, su- you mean. <laughs> what did I say? In that amount of time. In that amount of time. Yeah. In that amount of words. <laughs> yes. He, had a, he also put a time limit on himself where he had to write <laughs> for just a few seconds. Right. <laughs> anyway, okay, I digress. But his, his mother made some suggestions that he try fat flash fiction. And it is difficult to write... A, a story, like a well-fleshed out story with a beginning, middle, and end, characters that you kind of care about and that they have a nice resolution to in a thousand words or less. I, I just recently tried and it's hard. It's hard to do. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> and so he he discovered he that he could, that he could do this, that he could write a story that was uh, had a beginning, middle, and end and a satisfactory, sensible story in a thousand words or less. Right. And I think the point, too, in his question was that, you know, his mom was the one kind of pushing him in that direction. So she is clearly kind of a um, positive force in his life. So I think that needs to be said. I love that. I love that theme with this with this author and this whole process and how unusual it's been and dealing with his mom. I think it's great. So kudos, kudos to her, too, you know, because it's a job. It's a job to do your own writing stuff. And so to be doing whatever else she's doing, I would find that interesting. I wonder, I wonder what she does. <laughs> yeah, we didn't ask. Yeah, we didn't. It's not, it's not about her, I guess, but it kind of <laughs> <laughs> Well, it kind of is in this case, I guess a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you're right. We should have thought about that. Okay, well, so then um, the next question was, how does writing fit into his schedule in terms of, and or, you know, what does it look like writing in a prison atmosphere? And what he talked about here. Uh, you know, was that he had lost a job, I guess, that he'd been working on in the prison and so found himself a lot more time. And I, I guess, you know, on the on the positive side of that, losing the job, he's kind of converted that time into storytelling and story creation. So, uh, you know, kudos to you, John, for doing that. Yes, definitely. Uh, but at the same time, even though he's got a lot of free time, you're still in an atmosphere that is quite unusual. Mm-hmm. And he did suggest that, you know, the surroundings might stunt creativity a little bit. Sure, you absolutely. Know, it's not the most positive environment to be in. And sometimes to write, you need positive thoughts, you know. You absolutely. need kind of that motivation and the push and, and encouragement to be successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not always found in the prison environment. I've never been to prison, but, you know, I imagine that it's it can be pretty tough finding some of that motivation to write at all even if you have time you know right surely there are all kinds of other issues that you have to you have to spend brain power on and so using some of your energy to be um, come up with some creativity has got to be a challenge 
Oh, yeah. 100%. Definitely. All right. Actually, he does have some other publishing references. Um, You know, we didn't do a lot of research on any of these, but he did mention that he was published in The Yard, which is a crime blog. And then he also um, wrote another flash fiction piece that was published in or by the Pinky Thinker Press, which I like the name of that group. I do too. Hard yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. Pinky Thinker say that Press. Fast. Yeah. But I I think that he's making some progress. And I think that's exciting because it kind of ties into the next question is what what are his writing goals and aspirations? He's been published in a few places now. And I thought that this was a really interesting answer, you know. And when you think about what his writing in the prison atmosphere look like too. His fondest wish is for his writing to, if not define, at least a positive footnote to his name if it's Googled. And mm-hmm. I really like that, you know. Mm-hmm. What happened that landed him in prison isn't, it's not a positive thing at all. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's using writing almost as a way of redemption, mm-hmm. which I think is really neat. He wants to put positivity out there. So when you look up the name John Mahoney, you don't just see an article um, that highlights, I keep saying the word highlight, that talks about, <laughs> you know, his. Some choices that he made when he was super young, too, first of all, because he was, I think, under right. 18. Yeah. Yes. A long time ago. 13 mm-hmm. and a half years is a long time. Mm-hmm. But now he can have these pieces out there where it's positive writing that impacts not only discussion, but the way people think about life. Right, right. You know. And one of the other questions we often ask is, what do you like to read? And um, this one surprised me a little bit. Yes. He loves manga. Yeah. Do you know what manga is? I researched manga because I didn't really know. No, no, you go ahead. Tell me. And then I will will go through. My kids read a lot of it. And um, it's basically just what we would consider a comic book. Except for a yeah. little bit more, maybe along the lines of a graphic novel, which some exactly. folks may know what those are. Yeah, and um, in that sort of Japanese style. It is. It's it's a major part of the Japanese publishing industry. So it's basically, like you said, comics or cartoons and graphic novels that conform to a particular style that originated originated in Japan in the late 19th century. Hmm. And it's written cool. for all ages and mm-hmm. includes a broad range of genre genres. So it's very versatile. I don't know why I found this interesting. I think um, it, it made me think of anime because mm-hmm. that's what I thought that this was, was anime. And I, I nearly dated a guy in college who really liked anime. And I, I always thought that was kind of, I was like, what is the draw to this? You know, and since then, a lot of people have, have enjoyed this. So it, it made, it was kind of fun when researching it. And I think that's why I got a kick out of researching it because it made me think yeah. of him. Yeah. But it differs from traditional comic books or American comic books in a couple of ways. The style is characteristic, but it's almost always printed in black and white. I did not know that. A lot of stuff that the kids bring home is not black and white. That's for sure. There are full color mangas, but they usually are not, they're not commonplace mangas. Hmm. They're typically reserved for special occasions. So, and, and they're read right to left, not left to right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You knew that, didn't you? I did only because like, <laughs> I had a, a friend who was from Japan uh, growing up. So I, I knew that that was some one of the weird things about their, their books. Their notebooks were like that too. It was just interesting. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think that is fascinating. It's like driving on a different side of the road, you know? Right, right. 
but I like that. It's they're usually printed as long running series. And I man, I hope I'm doing justice. I hope John's not like sitting there and like, oh man, they're butchering me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I like the difference between anime. I also found this interesting, so I'm going to share with everybody, even and then we can stop. But anime is another all-encompassing term that describes Japanese animation. And if Hmm. a manga series is popular enough, it might be picked up as an anime, which Mm -hmm. is, which was the case for like Dragon Ball and Sailor Mm -hmm. Moon, which those Mm. are popular titles. I mean, even I have heard of Dragon Ball. Sailor Moon, like I've seen the pictures when I saw that. So it's print versus animation, manga versus anime. All right. Well, if you're listening to today's show, you got a lesson on manga and anime and you weren't expecting it. (laughs) You have just been schooled in manga. Go, go check it out. I kind of want to. Yeah. He he also loves novels, right? Right. He he likes horror novels, anything paranormal or fantasy grabs his attention, which is obvious in this short story, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and he, and he mentioned the Mistborn trilogy, uh, by Brandon Sanderson, which I have not yet read, but I'm a, I'm a fantasy kind of guy, and that's um, been on my list for a while. Uh, I need to get to it. So, but I've heard it's really pretty incredible. I have read that it's pretty incredible. I did not know that it was. I'm not a fantasy gal. I know you yeah. like your fantasy, right? But right. I'm not <laughs> not a fantasy gal. But this is an epic fantasy, apparently, that takes place on a world with a red sky, sun, brown vegetables. And there are constant black volcanic ash falls. I mean, that just sounds amazing. Okay, yep. I'm being sarcastic. It doesn't. But apparently a lot of people <laughs> find it fantastic. And um, like you you were saying before that you can't even get it from the library because it's always checked out. Yeah, it's always. I have um, been on the list, but normally I can only get the second or third book and I need to get on the start off with the first one. I do remember, I wonder if I read a blurb somewhere once because I do remember now that you mentioned the, uh, the volcanic ash, maybe I read like the first paragraph or something somewhere. Yeah. About a guy kind of trudging through, trudging through the ash. And, um, anyway, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Okay. So we also asked him how much of his writing is inspired by what he reads. And it's an, he takes an interesting approach to how he gathers inspiration and how mm-hmm. to better himself as a writer. He dissects pieces. So it's, he, he likes to read in what he calls a nitpicky fashion, which is fun. So he reads books and watches movies and he thinks, mm, I could do better. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? If you look at the flaws that somebody has put out there, you know, and you think, I want to write something that's like this but I'm going to make it better. So you kind mm-hmm. of fix their oversight. And I thought that was an interesting approach. Right, right. Well, it is, um, you know, as a writer in progress, I find that when I read now, it's hard not to make some judgments about the choices that writers make in their storytelling. Yeah. And whether or not, sometimes you'll be amazed at the choices that they make and how that is really cool. And sometimes you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's not really working for me as a reader. Um, But yeah, so I think that's what he does is he kind of digs in and um, tries to find ways that he could improve upon the story, which is definitely a way to become a better writer. Yes, it is. Don't you find it fascinating that some people can love something so much and then other people can hate it? Yes, totally. Yeah, right. (laughs) It makes me think of that. I read, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I read a a thriller, a psychological thriller, not that long ago, called Behind Her Eyes. They made a Netflix miniseries out of it. Mm, Okay. Okay, I loved 
this book. I, yep. I thought it was great. Now, I think it's fair, and I don't think there are any spoilers by saying that this book, and this, this ties in to this piece, I promise. I'm not going too far off here, but that's fine. this is kind of a paranormal uh, mm-hmm. story, which I didn't realize that when I first picked up the book, but I was I was in for it. Yeah. I loved it. You know, like five out of five rating for me. I think the author did an amazing job writing the story, plotting it out, because plotting takes a lot of work, especially to do a surprise ending that you don't see coming. Mm-hmm. Other people, some people that I am, you know, in a writing group with or, you know, just really respect their writing opinion, they hated the book. Yeah, yeah, sure. They, they just felt like this is not what I was expecting. You know, I don't like it. And, you know, there was controversy over the miniseries too, but man, was it well done, at least in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know, it's yeah. so funny how just like what John's talking about here, you know, and what you were talking about just a minute ago, you have something that works for me might not work for you. Right, right. And so I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. That everybody doesn't like the same thing. Right, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of amusing um, in that, in John's answer to this question, and one of the things that he, that didn't work for him in the Star Wars, you know, trilogy, so that we're talking movies here, not books, but I mean, he brings up a good point, which is that um, Anakin becomes Darth Vader, and I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the Star okay. Wars series. You um, totally should have said spoiler alert. We've <laughs> seen Star no, Wars. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> they um, might not know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, um, you know, that basically Padme, um, you know, the mother of Princess Leia dies uh, when... You know, it seems like with all the technology that they have flying all over the universe, you know, walking around in these suits that repair your bodies, that she couldn't be saved, you know, in a dangerous situation with childbirth. And I was like, ah, you know, that's a good, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Something I never thought of before. No, he's he's going to rewrite Star Wars and they're <laughs> going to have a seaside. They're going to be able to save this woman without this. But then that, that begs the question, if you take that off, right? then where's your story? Right, exactly. Well, that's the point I was going to make is that sometimes things have to happen for your story. So just right. that's the way it is. <laughs> Even you, Sometimes you have to look away a little bit. Like, don't look at that too closely because you ruin everything. Right, I don't like right. that. My husband likes to analyze cartoons that the, my kids are watching. It's like, why are you thinking this much about this cartoon? Like, you need to stop because you're ruining everything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, one of uh, one of my favorite lines from speaking of horrible cartoons, uh, I grew up on Speed Racer, and um, oh my gosh! And then I got the when I was in college, I bought some of the VHS and watched them, and I just VHS. cringed because the writing was so horrible. And there's this one <laughs> line about this secret film was filmed secretly, you know. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, from some secret, and they said secret like 14 times in one <laughs> sentence. Uh, so I was like, well, okay, the message got across. But anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to beat your audience over the head, especially exactly. when they're kids. You know, they love that stuff. Right, oh, exactly. man, the secret. Yeah. <laughs> the more you say secret, the more fascinating it becomes. When we look at it and be like, well, he just said secret 14 times. <laughs> you know, something's wrong here. Totally. All right. So where are we in our questions here? How did he first get into writing? Yeah. Okay. You always wonder how people start their writing process and he realized that he had a talent for writing in high school he wrote a book report and you're gonna think that you know oh the teacher thought it was amazing and got a 100 percent right right no he received a failing grade 
The mm-hmm. teacher thought that he plagiarized it because it was so professionally written, and the teacher wouldn't believe that they were actually his words and that yeah, he could come up yeah. with something like that. So he he sat down in the classroom. He wrote something similar right there on the spot. The professor was amazed, and or the teacher, I guess this is high school. You don't call them professors until college, right? Right, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then he got his... Um, his grade changed from a zero to 100%. So he knew right then, you know, I, you know, I like to write, I have an, a talent for writing. And yeah. then he started um, writing in earnest, uh, largely to pass the time away when, once he went to jail, when he was incarcerated. Well, good for you, John. I mean, I commend you and we both commend you on um, trying to better yourself and change your story. So definitely that writing is definitely a way to do that. It has power and uh, good for you for taking advantage of that. Yeah. And I think that's why we're doing this. You know, it's amazing what what writing can do and how mm-hmm. it can affect people's lives. And maybe this story will affect someone's life um, that needs to hear it. Yeah, good point. Good. Well, my voice is going today. Um, okay, so then the last question that we usually ask writers is, you know, what would you like to tell writers that are kind of learning or from your experience, what are some things that you would pass on? And what he basically said was, Anybody can write a story, but to try to write a story that hasn't been written, so be innovative. It kind of goes back to the concept of how this author is inspired by other works of fiction. You know, he mm-hmm. finds the flaws in a piece and he tries to eradicate them. And it is innovating. You know, it's taking something and, and making it your own, but adding to what you feel was lacking before. Yeah, yeah, always improving. Yes, always improving. But you know what? You know, that's the end of our questions. But you know what we didn't ask him that I really wish we had? Okay, which is? <laughs> you, you Surely you know this. It's my favorite question. I really wish we'd asked him what his writing quirk was. Because what if he has some strange writing quirk, <laughs> you know, that we are missing out on? We right, know. right. Maybe we should ask his mother. We could. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we stumped some people with the writing quirk quirk question though too like i don't know what is a writing quirk they've had to think about it (laughs) those people have one they just it's like too embarrassing to share i'm convinced or or maybe they just they don't know what's a quirk it's you know what i mean right yeah maybe yeah maybe we should rephrase that instead of a quirk like what is something unusual that you do yeah Um, in preparation for writing or how you yeah in preparation for writing no Mm, cool yeah sounds good all right well um we're coming up on time here it's pretty much it for the questions is there anything else you think we should Chad, it was, I, I would just say, I guess before we go, it I was not an easy decision to make in this regard. It was unusual. You know, we're a nano press, we're brand new, and I didn't want to make a bad choice. But um, in talking, getting advice um, from Melissa and then from some other professional writers that I know, they felt there was really nothing to, to lose and everything to gain from helping someone out, um, you know, and to help spread the word. So I guess uh, that's kind of where we ended up. Yeah, I think if you look at the process about how the pieces are picked, you're picking them based on on the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe certain things you know wouldn't fly with if an author you found something out about an author, but um, at this time, you know, he's doing everything he can to better himself, mm-hmm. and we really are highlighting the piece. And I think it is something I found it fascinating about learning about somebody who writes in a completely different environment in a completely different way than we're used to right so i think it's it's an experience that regardless of what people think 
and everybody has an opinion about mm-hmm. what people have done in their past. You can't judge somebody from their past, I don't think. But it is, if nothing else, you know, extremely, it's it's a, an inline into another way of life. And I think mm-hmm. we can all learn something from studying how different ways people live their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's... I think that's why this, why I encourage the piece to move on mm-hmm. um, and to move on with this. And I knew even without the author, we would have an awesome show because we're, <laughs> we're awesome. So it's like, I knew you're it was awesome. going to be an awesome show. <laughs> no, you're all, we're both awesome. You're awesome. Well, so. appreciate it. That's great. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll wrap it up with that and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash Onyx Publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing. <laughs>